Now, our, uh, in our series today, as we move into our teaching time, we're going to be in our third week of our, uh, of our current series, Gospel Justice in Suburbia. And our primary text today is going to be from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27, 29, 27. And uh, Josh is going to come. So as he does, why don't you guys go ahead and open up your Bibles to James 1, and Josh will, Josh will read our primary passage for us. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Good morning, church family. How are we doing today? We good? Um, I can tell that you're really excited about the election on Tuesday. And you think it's going to be over on Wednesday, but you are wrong, and so buckle up for a few more weeks of depression. My name is Aaron, and I'm in charge of uh, being happy here, and so welcome to Sound City Bible Church. If we've not yet met, I'm Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad to have you joining us today. Um, As Pastor Shane said a moment ago, we are going through a sermon series called Gospel Justice in Suburbia. And for us as a church, there's a few reasons in particular. Number one is our culture is having a lot of conversations right now about issues related to social justice, care for the poor, issues related to race relations, issues related to poverty and income inequality. All those sorts of conversations are being had right now by our culture. And we believe that there's an opportune time for us as the people of God to ask the question, what does God have to say about these sorts of issues? And so week one, we looked at just the idea of justice in general and how a lot of people use that term and what that means and specifically how do we as gospel-centered Christians uh, dive into issues and matters of justice. Last week, week two, we looked specifically at the subject of caring for the poor and opening up not only our hearts but our wallets to be able to give generously because God has given generously to us. And today we pick up with the subject of widows and orphans. And let me just say right at the very beginning, um, most of you know that my family has been involved in foster care, well, I would say for 10 years, but actually I'm realizing that's not true because I was five years old the first time my parents brought somebody home to stay with us. And I said, hey, this is great. And then I realized I didn't get the front seat anymore. And uh, I thought, this is not so great, but um, it's something that has been a part of my life quite literally since I was a small child. Um, This this first person ever came and stayed with us, she was a teenage girl, she'd gotten pregnant, and her parents said, get an abortion or get out of the house. And so she felt like she had nowhere to go. My parents had only been saved for about two years at the time. They were like, well, we're reading this book, and it said to like take people into your house, so we just took her into our house. And I said, well, I... I guess I can share. Um, So this has been a a deep part of my life. And I just want to say from the outset, um, number one, my hope and and goal today, first and foremost, above anything else, is for you to see that this is not some hobby horse that I'm on, that my family's on, that people in the church are on, that, that caring for widows and orphans is a central and integral part of the gospel itself, okay? 
Uh, Second of all, I want to leave a ton of room for the Holy Spirit to inspire your heart towards acts of service, towards acts of mercy, in whatever way that he leads you toward. So my hope and my goal is to not be overly prescriptive today. So can I say that from the outset? And for those of you who are feeling like, oh, great, here goes the pastor again on his hobby horse about foster care. Uh, My hope and my prayer is that it will not be true and that you'll see how these ideas are are, are just central to the scriptures, central to the storyline of the Bible itself. So with that said, let me pray. And then we'll spend some time unpacking uh, these verses in James together. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you in uh, a world where everybody has something to say. God, we're thankful that your word is the final thing that ever needs to be said. God, you've communicated to us through your son, Jesus. You've communicated to us through the prophets, through the apostles. God, you've given us the scriptures that when we drift and we forget, God, we can open this book and we can be reminded of who you are and what you have done for us in the person and the work of Jesus to save us from our sins and redeem us unto yourself. God, as always, I ask and pray that you would guard my lips, help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth from your word. God, I ask and pray you'd give us all uh, soft hearts, teachable hearts, directable hearts. Um, God, we're, we're dealing very specifically with a call to action passage this week. And so I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would begin to stir in our hearts, not only the call to action, but the right motivation because of the gospel, because of what uh, you've done for us in Jesus. Uh, bless our time. May our attention and focus be on Jesus above anything and everything else. We pray this in his name. Amen. You know, I was... I was researching various passages that I wanted to preach on when it comes to a topical sermon series. You can kind of maybe pick the passage or kind of put it all together. You have a little bit more flexibility. Most of the time as a church, we just like to go line by line through books of the Bible. And so I was was looking through the Bible. I'm like, you know, I could do that James chapter one passage, but it's kind of been done before. Is there some other maybe more creative passage? You know, I was kind of being a little bit like a hipster this week. Like I want to do some passage that no one else has ever heard of before. And so I'm, I'm digging around in like Deuteronomy and I come across this verse uh, 27, 19. It says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Like, oh, we're amening a curse. Okay, that's, a, that's one way to wake people up on a Sunday morning. Well, that's kind of intense. Uh, curse. Wow, God feels pretty seriously about this. And then I happened across Exodus 22. It says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Whoo! Like, you don't see a lot of like mouse pads or coffee cups with that passage on it, right? Business idea for some entrepreneur here, right? Do you get the idea that this topic of caring for widows and orphans is important to God? Do you get the sense that there's some passion within our God's heart, within his his, um, desires for us as his people to care for this vulnerable group of people? As we've gone through this series, we've kind of been narrowing the focus. You know, we talk about justice in general. We talk about the poor. Today, we're kind of narrowing even more on, on the subject of widows and orphans. Next week, we're going to talk about race, and things are going to get all sorts of uncomfortable. It's going to be awesome. But, but we're really focusing on a specific group of people, and it's interesting. The, the, the group of people, the widows and orphans, are almost always, not always, but almost always, 
linked together in the scripture. There are a few passages about widows specifically, a few passages about orphans specifically, but almost always they're linked together. Why? Well, they're linked together by loss. In the truest sense, a widow is a woman whose husband has died. In the truest sense, an orphan is a person whose parents have died, particularly in the cultures of the ancient Near East and the scriptures were written, uh, much more of a patriarchal society. So for a widow, if your husband died, you don't have access to the property. You don't get the inheritance. The sons would get the inheritance. Or if you were a child and your, your parents died, there weren't safety nets. There was no CPS. There was no foster care offices. And, and you, you were just dependent upon the, 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 the general welfare of others or else you would literally die. Now, the earliest Christians, this is amazing to me. When you study history, and I don't want to belabor this point too much, but the earliest Christians, you know, right around the time of, of Jesus, right after his, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the earliest Christians became known widespread throughout the entire Roman Empire as those who would care for orphans. See, in that culture, if you had a child that you didn't want, maybe it was an unwanted or an unplanned pregnancy, maybe it was the wrong gender, still to this day, the most dangerous thing that you can be is an infant girl. Massive, massive genocide against babies who are born as girls because uh, in many, again, more patriarchal, male-dominated societies, they're viewed as unloved and unwanted. And so in the Greco-Roman world, they would just leave them out for exposure, After the child was born, they would take them into a field, they would take them into the woods, they would take them to a garbage dump and just leave the child there to die. Well, the Christians would go along and would scoop them up, would take them into their house and care for them and love them and provide for them. Same is true with widows. In that that culture and in that day, there were not a lot of employment options, for, uh, particularly for an older woman whose husband has died. The most common occupation that widows ended up in was prostitution. The only way that this woman whose husband, the one who was providing for her, the one who was taking care of her, now he's gone, now he's dead, he's out of the picture, she has to turn to selling herself in order to provide means to live, particularly if she had children who were now orphans. The Bible has a lot to say. History would tell us that the earliest Christians set up all sorts of support networks and ways to care for widows. There's big passages of scripture, Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 5, where there's all sorts of talk about caring for widows and how this is supposed to be administered. In fact, the first great leadership crisis in the early church was because there was one group of widows, the Greek-speaking widows, uh, who felt like the Jewish-speaking widows, uh, the Greek-speaking widows felt like they were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And so they had to raise up deacons and better leaders to help distribute the food and make sure everyone got their fair share. Friends, this is something that has been a part of our family DNA, if I can use that phrase, as Christians since the very beginning. And I think it's something that at times we've lost. It's something that I think at times we could do a better job of. I'll say something. I I don't necessarily mean this to be a political statement, although I know that it will be. Um, The Bible calls for God's people to care for orphans and widows. And it mentions nothing about government programs. Now hear me on this. I'm not opposed to government programs. The scripture doesn't forbid those sorts of things. But as people of God, as Christians, our reliance is not supposed to be upon the state to do that which he has called the church to do. Amen? That's where we get challenged. That's where we get stretched. That God is asking 
us, his people, to enter into broken situations, messy, messy situations. The good news is, though, that this entering into these broken and messy situations, it's nothing that, that A, God will, he's going to supply what we need, but B, he's already gone there before us. So that really leads us kind of to the big idea for today. It's this, God loves people the way that a father loves his children and the way that a husband loves his wife. And the more that we understand this type of gospel love, the more we'll want to respond with care and service for widows and orphans, okay? God loves his people deeply. And the imagery, the metaphor of a husband loving a wife and a father loving children is is all throughout the pages of the Bible. And the more we get this, the more we internalize this, the more it's going to just begin to overflow in care and love for these people groups. Now, let's go back to the book of James and let's make a few observations here. I'm going to take these verses a little bit out of order. Verse 26, uh, go back there with me if you will. James, the author of James, uh, his name is James, uh, is the author, in case you were wondering. Yes, I am a pastor. Okay, uh, he, he, he's writing to a particular group of people that were really struggling to put their faith into action. They would talk a big game. They would talk a lot about, oh, we have faith, but they weren't really showing it or demonstrating it. In fact, some people have looked at the book of James and they've looked at some of these verses and they've looked over at the writings of Paul where he talked about we're not saved by, by works, we're saved by faith. And they look over at James and James says, your, your, your faith without works is useless. And they say, oh, well, Paul and James are at odds with each other. No, they're not. They're just writing to different contexts. Friends, if you're a Christian, You are saved by no works of your own. You are saved by a sheer act of God's grace and the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if that salvation is real, if it's genuine, one of the primary evidences of that is that it will overflow into good works. We looked at that in week one of the series. That's the whole point where we started, what the gospel is and what the gospel does. We are saved by grace. The apostle Paul himself says, unto good works. So with that context in mind, look at what James says in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, does not control what he says, there's a whole extra sermon in there I'm not going to get to preach today, but, but deceives his heart. His religion, that person's religion is, what's the word, Sound City? Worthless. Let me paraphrase this a little bit. If you're someone who doesn't have an accurate picture of yourself and you like to talk a big game, but you don't do anything to serve and care for others, then you need to really check whether or not your faith is real. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit, here it is, orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let me make two comments on these verses real quick. First of all is this, uh, many in, in our church and kind of in our, so to speak, tribe of churches, we like to use the word religion in a negative sense, don't we? We often talk about religion pejoratively. We say religion is, is man's effort to get to God, whereas the gospel is God's saving of us through no efforts of our own. That's a good and helpful distinction. The Bible uses the word religion in that pejorative sense sometimes. In fact, we use it so often that sometimes when people use religion in a different way, it's kind of shocking or surprising. 
surprising to me. Um, last week, uh, our staff and elders, we were down, um, we were in Louisville, Kentucky for a conference, and we went out in the afternoon to uh, a restaurant, and we're talking, and the gal who's serving us, she's like, oh, you know, you guys are visiting, what brings you into town? And I said, oh, we're here for a conference. Oh, what kind of conference? Well, it's like a pastors and, and church, church leaders conference. And she goes, oh, so like a religion convention. I'm like, whoa, I have never heard that phrase used before. And it kind of like gave me the heebie-jeebies when I heard her say it, but this person's not a Christian. She doesn't understand. Like, yes, a religion convention. So I was at a religion convention last week. We use this word pejoratively very often, but, but here the author of James is using it in a good sense. He's saying religion, meaning your, your faith tied to your devotion. Don't just talk a big game. God is interested actually in how we live as well. And the order of operations is very important. Faith before works. Don't ever get it backwards. We don't work to earn our love. We don't work to earn our salvation. We don't work to impress God. We simply, by sheer faith, we receive his grace. And the more that that takes root in our hearts, yes, it's going to lead us to good works. So notice that first. The second thing I want you to see this though, and man, this has been personally rocking my world as we've gone through this series. You'll remember both last week and week one, I said that in the Bible, you can't separate righteousness from justice. Remember I said that? And, and, and I gave you a little bit of family history in the United States of America. There's, there's one group of Christians that really wanted to focus on all the justice stuff. We're gonna, we're gonna feed the hungry, we're gonna clothe the naked, we're gonna provide for the poor, but they really lost a lot of that stuff about Jesus is the son of God, there's sin, repentance. And so they became known as kind of the social gospel group. And then there's this other group that said, well, we don't wanna be that social gospel group, so we're just gonna focus on sin and repentance and personal faith and salvation. And they kind of abandoned some of the good works that Jesus called us to. And so they're kind of the, the personal gospel only. When you look through the pages of the Bible, righteousness and justice, your relationship with God and your relationship with others, they're always linked together. Like always. And as I'm studying and preparing, I didn't even necessarily know this beforehand or notice this beforehand, I should say, but it's right there. What does it say? Here's what God considers pure and undefiled religion. Here's what God wants your life to look like. Number one, caring for widows and orphans in their affliction. That's the justice aspect. That's the horizontal aspect, care and love for your fellow man and to keep one's self unstained from the world. That's the righteousness aspect, to come before God and say, God, I'm sinful. God, I need to repent of my sin. God, I need to not believe what the world says. I need to not be overly influenced by what the culture says because the culture changes its mind every five minutes, but God, your word stands forever. This is prayer and Bible study and community group and church attendance and caring for the poor and giving and serving and, and, and taking in the homeless and clothing the naked. It's a both and thing. Amen, Sound City? It's a both and thing. And some of you are going to be more naturally drawn to one aspect or the other. Some of you are more naturally pietistic. You want to spend your time praying. You want to spend your time reading the Bible. You want to spend your time talking about your heart and sin or repentance. That's all well and good as long as you don't forget the other side. Some of you are more uh, activistic. You want to always be at a soup kitchen. You always want to be at a homeless shelter. You take in like 362 foster kids a year and you're just always going, going, going. But don't neglect your spiritual life before God. My hope and my prayer, Sound City, is that we would be a both and church. Do I get an amen from anybody on that? Okay, good. Now that we're tracking. Now listen, 
So this is what God says is important to him. And if you remember those passages from Deuteronomy and Exodus, you say, yes, this is very important to God. Why? Why is this very important to God? Well, a few reasons. First of all is, as we already have identified, God uniquely identifies with the poor, the broken, and the vulnerable. We've seen that time and time again. Uh, Proverbs, you know, the way that you if, you, if you mistreat the poor, you insult your maker. Uh, God really identifies with the poor and the vulnerable. But there's, there's more to that. Number, number two is this. God, in the pages of the Bible, uniquely identifies himself as a father. When Jesus taught us to pray, when he taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you pray, you should pray like this. Our what? Our Father. Good job. You guys remember our Lord's Prayer series from last year or two years ago now. Whoa. There's a lot of ways that we could address God. Our Lord, our Master, our King, our Sovereign. Those are all true and, and, and right and applicable ways that we can address God. But when Jesus, the Son of God himself, said, hey, here it is. Here, I'm going to teach you how to pray. The number one way he told us to address God is this. Father, Dad, Papa. In Psalm 68, if you go into the Old Testament, the psalmist writes that God is a father of the fatherless and a protector of widows. So God's not just any type of father. God's an adoptive father. Did you know that? God is an adoptive father. So God uniquely identifies with the vulnerable. God specifically identifies himself as a father. Number three, God identifies himself as a husband. The, the imagery and the language of husband is all throughout the pages of the scripture. Let me just give you one example. In Jeremiah 31, you guys remember we studied this back in our time in Hebrews. God is, God is speaking to the people because they've broken his covenant, they've broken his laws, and he's just brokenhearted. He says, but I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's not going to be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, here it is, Sound City, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. What God is saying is like, God, God is saying like, I, I have loved you the way that a husband loves his wife. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm taking you to the promised land. It's like a husband who's left the wedding ceremony and they're driving home and he wants to take his wife to their brand new home and the wife has committed adultery before they even got across the threshold of the house. And God's heart is broken over that. And he uniquely identifies himself as a husband to his people. Number four, why, why does God care so deeply? Why does God care so deeply about how we treat orphans and widows? And this one takes some nuanced thinking, so I really want you to just track with me on this. Harming the weak is a particularly grievous sin. To take advantage of someone who is in a position of vulnerability God views as greater sin. Now, no sooner do those words come out of my mouth than some of you are saying, wait a minute, Pastor Aaron. I know what the Bible says. The Bible says all sins are equal before God. There's, there's only one problem with that. No, it doesn't. Just one little issue. Okay. Now, now follow me on this. When people say, well, all sin is equal. Sin is sin. My sin's not worse than your sin. Your sin's not worse than my sin. There, there's something really good about that. There's something really good about that. What they're trying to say is, hey, look, I'm no better than you. I'm no worse than you. We both 
are sinners. We both need God's forgiveness. That's all true, right, Sound City? We all need God's grace. We all need God's forgiveness. There should be no sense of moral superiority. Like, well, my sins aren't as stinky as yours. Like, no. However, the Bible is crystal clear that the sin of stealing a pack of gum is not the same as the sin of sex trafficking a young child. Crystal clear. You need to hear me on that. Those are not moral equivalencies. And in fact, you do damage to the word of God if you try to say, well, all sin is just equal before God. No, it's not. And I'll show you specifically connected to our topic for today. In Luke 20, you can read this more on your own, but in Luke 20, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. And he's not speaking how he would say, uh, kindly. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and they love the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feast. These are the religious leaders who are using their position of power for their own benefit. Big, long, fancy robes, the nicest clothes, the seat of honor. They love to be greeted. They love to be the center of attention. He says this, they devour widows' houses. Now, I don't know fully what all that means. The commentators are kind of split on that. But somehow it appears that these religious leaders are using their position of power and influence to take advantage of little old ladies, devouring their houses, probably by saying they need to tithe more. And so if you can't afford to tithe more, you just need to give us your house and then they take it and move into it. And for pretense, make long prayers. And then Jesus says these words. Jesus says, they will receive the greater condemnation. Now, if you steal a, a magazine from the grocery store, yes, that is indicative that you have a sinful heart. And you need to repent and you need God's grace and you need God's forgiveness. Absolutely. But the damaging effects of that sin are so much less than someone who kidnaps an innocent child and traps an innocent child and whores them out as a, as a prostitute. That has untold more damaging consequences, not only on the victim, but on the perpetrator as well. And Jesus says, people who take advantage of widows will receive the greater condemnation. So, so I, I hope I'm making myself clear. The point in, in bringing that out to you is so that we can be true and we can be in line with what the scriptures teach. I'm not encouraging anyone. Again, do not go to community group this week and like, well, let's all rank our sins and see who's got the, the lowest score. And then, you know, you can pray for all that. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay. It's not to go around sin comparing, but it, it should make us catch our breath a little bit when Jesus himself says they're going to receive the greater condemnation because of their harm of a vulnerable widow. Number five, why, why does Jesus care so much about this? Because both widows and orphans, caring for widows and orphans is a great picture of the gospel itself. So let me show this to you. As I already said, the, the, the imagery of marriage and, and a wedding is all throughout the pages of the Bible. I read you that passage in Jeremiah. That's an Old Testament passage in the New Testament. When Jesus returns... Jesus returns, the Bible says it's going to be a great party. It's going to be the great, what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a wedding feast. Any of you guys ever been to like a really good wedding party? Any of you ever been to a really lame wedding party? Okay, so not that. 
It's like, we're going to have a really great wedding party. And we're going to have, the angels are going to be hanging out there. And like King David is going to be rocking the harp. And it's going to be amazing, right? Uh, that's in there. You have to trust me. It's in the Aaron Gray translation. So, but, but, but it's going to be this great party. But there's actually gospel, not just related to marriage, but specifically related to the redemption of a widow. One example. Again, I'm just giving you these examples throughout the scripture. Isaiah 54. We'll put this up on the screen. Isaiah 54. Again, this is Old Testament. The people of Israel have received judgment. They're brokenhearted, but God is making gospel promises to them. He's making promises to redeem and restore them. Listen to what he says. He says, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. Don't be confused, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Much more so in their day than in ours, a a widow would have borne a certain level of shame. Your husband's gone, your husband's dead, maybe he left you, maybe he just walked away from the family, we don't know. And and in our culture, we're much more, I guess you could say accepting, we're much more tolerant, but there would have been a lot more shame associated with this in in that culture. What God is saying is, I'm going to redeem that shame. I'm going to cover that shame. You're going to forget that shame. Verse 5, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. The God of the whole earth. The one who made everything. The stars, the moon, the, the planets, the oceans, the mountains. He made everything. And he specifically wants to love you the way that a husband loves his wife. The Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. I, uh, I've had a few, I guess you'd say opportunities to, to walk alongside people, love people um, who've lost a husband. And one in particular comes to mind. There was a, a woman, a younger woman. It's part of a church that I was uh, a part of recent, uh, previously before Sun City. And um, her husband was active duty military, and he, he lost his life, I believe, in Iraq. And she had a little, I think, two-year-old daughter at the time. Now, that situation was an honorable situation. It was, I mean, he was serving his country. It wasn't like he just ran off and left the family or something like that. But there was still a lot of shame that she had to deal with. Just, you know, where is, where is dad? I'm just having to relive that. Well, oh, where's, where's, your, where's your husband? Where's your... This is your daughter? Oh, you married? No, I'm a widow. Technical, in the technical sense. And I got to watch, um, as a young man in the church, got interested in her. And I watched really closely at first. And then I was like, okay, he's okay. And then um, they started courting. They started, they got engaged. And I got to perform their wedding ceremony. And that guy not only got to take a wife unto himself, but he got to bring a daughter. And he got to be an adoptive dad as well. And I got to preach in front of all sorts of um, family members who are not believers in Jesus. And I got to preach about how this is a picture of the gospel. The redemptive work of, of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus rose again, it's almost, like, it's almost like he put a wedding ring on her finger. It said, though you were cast off, though you were despised, though you've been widowed, I want you. I choose you. 
Caring for orphans is a picture of the gospel as well. Romans 8, a classic example of this. The apostle Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No slavery, no fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And in the scripture, that, that, in the Greek, that word is uh, gender inclusive, sons and daughters. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is personal. It's tender. It's what a little infant baby cries out. It's not, oh, dearest father. Like, my kids don't call me that. They do, but they're being sarcastic, and usually I have to chase them. Like, oh, father dear, may we please have some yogurt? I'm like, who are you, kids? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're my sarcastic kids. That's right. But usually, daddy! That was this morning. Because somebody forgot to tell the three-year-old about daylight savings time. And so, <laughs> oh, yeah. Pray for me. 605. Daddy! Dada! I mean, what, what the Apostle Paul is getting at, we have that kind of access to God. If you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, if you've come by faith through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then what God thinks of you is the exact same that he thinks of his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? Um, I've been a foster parent for a while. I have many friends who are foster parents, adoptive parents. And when you go to different support groups, there's oftentimes there's this one kind of, um, I have to say this carefully, but almost like a uh, like dirty secret that people have a hard time admitting. And foster parents and adoptive parents sometimes have a really hard time admitting that there's a different type of love between their biological children and the adopted children. It can be really hard for, for parents to, to just even admit that. I, I kind of love my biological children more, maybe more than my adopted children. And it comes up often. This is a, a common thing that, that you see here in foster and adoptive support groups. Let me tell you this. God, our Heavenly Father, has loved his unique, monogenes, only begotten son since before the foundation of the world. When we trust in Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection, what God says is, I'm going to love you 100% the exact same as my only begotten son, Jesus. There is no difference. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We get the same inheritance that Jesus gets. You know what Jesus gets? Eternal splendor, eternal glory, eternal uh, uh, just enjoyment of the presence of his Father, all of the riches of heaven. Do you know what we get? All the same. We're in Christ, adopted into the family through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, if you've placed your trust in the Father, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, his sacrifice, then God loves you the same. There's no difference. You know what else is interesting? We get a new name. When you adopt somebody, if you, if you adopt a child, even if you, um, I know, I've known some people who've done adoption even as an adult. After they became 18, they were legally free from whatever guardianship and they wanted to be adopted. You get a new birth certificate. Did you know that? They will reissue a new birth certificate. Even in the U.S. today, they will reissue a new birth certificate that says you were born to these parents. You know, a whole new stamp, a whole new identity. It's kind of the same with our Heavenly Father, isn't it? We get to be called sons. We get to be called daughters of the Most High God. We get to bear the name of Christ. It's a picture of the gospel, friends. Again, I'm, I'm saying this to you 
Because, yes, I want to get practical here, and I'm about to get real practical. I want to call us to action. I want to call us to move forward. But I do not want us to move forward if we don't have the right motives in place. If this is only about, oh, we need to care for little old ladies. Oh, we need to care for those poor little kids. Just because it's the right thing to do, that motivation will fade. You'll be real excited about it for a week. You hear some good motivational speaker, someone better than me, obviously, but you hear some good motivational speaker and they're like, oh yeah, I'm really engaged and I want to care for all of the orphans. And then like a month later, like, this is hard. Like, yeah, it's real hard. (laughs) If you don't have a gospel motivation in place, you're going to fizzle out. And so that's why I'm hammering this so hard. That said, let's go back to the book of James and look at what he says about living it out. Go back to verse 22. Be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Uh, James is being a little bit sarcastic and humorous. Like, yeah, you're just staring at yourself in the mirror and you walk like, oh, you know, I have no idea what I look like anymore. Like, how ridiculous is that? And that's what James is saying. You're looking at all this, this, this liberty. You look at all this grace, all this gospel you've given, and you don't go actually live it out. It's like, it's just as silly as forgetting what you look like after staring at your face in a mirror for an hour. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let me just say this. Um, I said this last week pretty pointedly, and I'll say it again. One of my great concerns for us as Sound City Bible Church is that we will give place to the idols of suburbia, which are comfort and convenience. Comfort and convenience. The suburbs were built for comfort and convenience, right? Got my nice lawn, I got my fence, I've got my garage, I got my cars, I got my 401k. Diving in to help people is messy. It's not clean and neat and tidy. And so I I say this, we want to be doers of the word, amen? Always from the right motivation, always from a gospel foundation, but there's a call on us as a church right now in November of 2016, there's a call on us as a church to step in, to put our hands to work, so to speak, to pour ourselves out for the betterment of others so that they can hear the gospel. Now let me just say this, Let let me get real practical for a few minutes here. I want to talk about living it out, caring for widows. And, and, and I just want to say this. This list that I'm going to show you, it's not exhaustive. I already said I don't want to be overly prescriptive, so it's not exhaustive. Some of the things I'm going to point out, yes, they are commands in the Bible. Other ones are just kind of good ideas. So I want you to really think with some nuance, okay? Can, can you guys track with me on that? Like, don't just assume, well, Pastor Aaron said that we have to do these four things. Like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying to get the conversation started, trying to give you some good ideas, trying to get you uh, some train tracks to start running on. So let's just say this. Caring for widows, what does this look like? Number one, I think it starting point needs to look like family care for the elderly. So I'm going to broaden it out just a little bit beyond just the, the strict definition of widows. I'm going to talk about family care for the elderly. If you look in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he has some really strong words to say for people who don't provide for their relatives in their old age. Do you remember what he says? It says, if you don't provide for your relatives, you're denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Like, whoa. So this one is, this one is more on the, on the side of like, this is a biblical command. Um, for those of you who are younger, and I will let you define that reality however you want, okay? Uh, have you considered how you, you are going to care for and make sure that your parents 
are cared for in their old age. I've had, I think it's three conversations this week with people in our church who are kind of working through putting, putting my parents into uh, maybe an assisted living unit, bringing parents to live with them in their home, all sorts of different conversations. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for those conversations happening. For those of you in your 20s and 30s in particular, a lot of your focus is on your children right now, but don't forget that there will come a day when God was asking you, hey, how are you going to care for your parents in their older age? Number two, it looks like church care for the elderly. Uh, that's the broader context of 1 Timothy 5, talking about the church needs to care for widows, the church needs to provide for them. Um, I am thankful for a lot of things about Sound City Bible Church. One of the things I'm really thankful for is that we truly are a multi-generational church. I know that if you've ever, uh, you know, you've, you've probably looked like, well, I think we're a lot of young families. I served in the kids' ministry. There's like 4,000 children back there. Like, yeah, I think you're right. You're right. But we actually truly are a multi-generational church. We have people who are not just attenders, but covenant members of the church in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. We actually have all of that represented in this room even right now at the first service as well. Isn't that awesome? That's really cool. That's God's work. And so we as a church need to consider how are we going to care for those, especially those who are elderly among us? How are we going to support those families who are trying to support their elderly relatives? Again, I don't want to be overly prescriptive with this. I'm going to let the Spirit lead you, and it's going to look different in different situations and different contexts, but that's something that we need to be talking about as a church. Number three, it could look like remarriage to widows or single moms. Like I told you before, that picture of what I watched live out at my previous church where, where, this, where this young man came and loved this, this widow. She'd lost her husband and she's trying to raise a daughter by herself. Some of you men, some of you single men, you're thinking, oh, I'm waiting for that one dream girl. Well, what if that one dream girl had a kid already or had been previously married and needed someone to come alongside and love and serve and support, okay? Broaden your perspective, young men. <laughs> Just leave that at that. I'll probably get into too much prescription if I say too much more than that. By the way, I would just say it's not always a good idea, and there are certain biblical reasons at times where remarriage is not uh, maybe even permissible or, or a good idea. So involve community specifically, involve the pastors in those conversations. But, but again, I want to I press on some of you younger men, some of you unmarried men to consider that. Number four, serve in a retirement community. Serve in a retirement community. Find one in your neighborhood. Take your community group. Go over and, go over and serve. Uh, I, I won't uh, embarrass anybody or call any names, but are Jim and Shelly Laguchik, are you guys here? Okay. Isn't that, you guys have been doing that with your community group, right? No? Well, good. My, my info is skewed. I don't think he's in the room, so I'm going to blame Michael Eller right now. But uh, somebody, told, okay, somebody told me, I thought it was you guys, but there's a community group in our church that's been doing that regularly, like once a month. Patty and Jerry. Patty and Jerry. Oh, Did you tell me wrong, Pastor Doug? Okay, good. Well, I, I still love you anyways. So there's a community group that's been serving at a retirement community regularly, and we'll figure out which one it is someday. But um, just knowing that that's, I'm, I'm just excited to hear that there's groups that are taking that kind of initiative to go and serve, and particularly for those living in a retirement community, loneliness can be a real factor. And just having somebody come by and hang out and play cards or just you know, sing some songs or whatever. Beautiful expression of living this out. Let's talk about caring for orphans. Um, obviously, one of the biggest ways to care for orphans is to adopt orphans. And one of the main ways that this happens in our culture, it happens all sorts of different ways, but one of the primary ways this actually happens is through the foster care system. 
Um, in other parts of the world, particularly in the developing world, there's just orphans. They're just there. You walk through the towns, you walk through the streets, there's just people with no parents, and you just grab them and you take them. We actually have a pretty sophisticated system in the United States of America that prevents you from doing such things. Um, but the foster care system has been set up to do... The foster care system has been set up to achieve gospel results, but without the gospel motivation or even the gospel methods. And so that's where we, the church, I think have a really unique opportunity to come alongside and actually help. Um, not saying this to toot our own horn or, or to speak privately, but I want you guys to know this. Three days ago, Sound City Bible Church paid for a catered lunch for the 42 workers at the Linwood Child Protective Services offices. And we went and we took a group of our, yeah, you guys can clap. You're... Your tithes, your contributions went to go provide like, not just like, like pizza or subset, like nice catered lunch. And another church uh, in Mill Creek, a, a pastor I've become friends with here recently, their church provided $10 Starbucks gift cards for everybody. And that got even a bigger round of applause than the lunch did. And, and there were other groups, Union Gospel Mission, Adoptive Services. We all came together and we said, hey, listen, we have this network of foster care uh, support network. We know that the work that you do is incredibly tough. And you guys read the story that came out in the news this last week? I think, I think it was just in our region, in Spanaway, there's a, there's a woman who is injecting her children with heroin, calling it sleepy time juice. There is a social worker from a government office that has to walk into that home, collect those children, collect their clothes, collect the diapers bags, take them back to the office, get on the phone, start calling people to find a safe house for them to live with. All the while, these kids don't know what in the world is happening. And so I stood up and I said, um, hey, I'm a pastor, so I understand a a thing or two about some messy, broken situations. Also, I am a foster parent. I've been involved in it my whole life. And we just want you to know that we, the the faith community, this Christian community, we understand a little bit of just how hard it is, what you're doing. And we wanted to provide a hot lunch and just to simply say thank you and we're we're here for you. And I said, my office, and actually our, our church offices are like walking distance from the CPS office. I said, hey, if anyone ever needs to come over and just kind of dump the truck or pray, I'll be here for you. I think that Sound City, let me, I don't, don't want to harp on this again too much as a hobby horse, but let me just say this. I think this is a real unique way, and I, I can speak on behalf of the elders too because we've had conversation about this. I think this is a unique way that God has really wired and gifted Sound City Bible Church to be able to make an impact in our community is through foster care. Um, if for no other reason than you people have like a billion kids already and you probably have some room in your minivan. Um, when I say you people, like I'm exempt, right? <laughs> Half the children's ministry back there is mine. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I had a joke. I'm going to save it. I want to run it past my wife first. Uh, let me, no, no, you're not going to peer pressure me, Sam. So when I, when I was talking to the people at the CPS office, what they were saying is, it's really funny to me. I'm just going to keep it to myself. What they were saying is this. They said that they have a lot of families who are actually going through the foster care licensing uh, uh, process. They actually have a lot of people that want to help, a lot of people that want to serve, but there's a problem. A lot of people come in, they want to help, and they want to serve specifically with zero to two legally adoptable. They want the cute baby that they can just take home and have be their forever child. The problem is, is that he said that 85% of the people coming in want that specific range. The problem is, is that is such a small percentage of what they're actually dealing with there at the CPS office. 
Just one example, we had a, a young girl, she's about 10 years old, she came and stayed with us earlier this year, it was just a short-term, kind of a temporary thing, she went back to her longer-term family. My wife just got an email the other day, and it's the sixth time that this 10-year-old girl has been on the placement list. Because for one reason or another, I don't know all the, the reasons, but it's this family can't keep her, this family can't keep her, this family can't keep her, this family can't keep her. Statistics would say, I'm probably off on this, I, I, I should have written it down, but statistics would say that 80, I believe it's 85% of children who age out of the foster care system without landing in a permanent family situation will end up homeless. Does Seattle have a homeless population? Problem? Yeah, you, you bet we do. You want to get upstream of that? Maybe open your house up to a nine-year-old kid that just needs a stable family situation. Now, again, I don't want to be too prescriptive on that. Again, that may be not something that God's calling you into. What if you could provide support for a foster or an adoptive family? What if you could pray for them? What if you could bring them meals? What if you could do some babysitting? What if you could actually get licensed as a respite care worker where you could take those children who are, are, are um, you know, in the ward of the state, basically, and you could actually take them for a longer period of time so uh, the other families can maybe get away, the, the, the parents can go get a, a date weekend? I don't know. Just consider ways that you could support or you could help. Third is you could volunteer within the system. Maybe you're somebody, you, you, you actually like... Um, Getting involved with government offices, I don't know what's wrong with you, we'll pray for you, but if you like that, um, actually getting involved with the system, just, again, a suggestion, there's something called a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate. All these foster care situations, they end up in court, and there's someone there representing the parent, there's a lawyer there representing the biological parents, who, by the way, they need love and care and support as well. There's someone there representing the state, the CPS offices, the department, whatever. Who's there advocating for the child? So in the system, there's, a, there's a, a volunteer position where you can serve as a court-appointed special advocate and you can go to court on behalf of the child to advocate for what's in their best interest. I know that the, the Linwood office, they told us they're trying to start what's called an office moms and dads program. When, when the worker goes and removes children from care, they take them back to just kind of this ugly office building and the kids just have to sit there while the social worker goes and gets on the phone and calls families and calls people and says, hey, we, we need placement for them. What are the kids going to do? Just sit there in the office until somebody is found where they can go. They're trying to start what they call an office moms and dads program where people can just go hang out with those kids in the office for a couple of hours at a time to play video games with them, read them a book, talk to them about things while they're waiting. Number four, this might sound counterintuitive, but it's not. Uh, one way you can help get involved in this is serving kids ministry because guess what? Those kids are here in our midst. And guess what? Those parents are here in our midst and they've already been running a miniature kids ministry all week. And so particularly for those of you who are empty nesters, those of you who maybe are young, uh, unmarried or young married couples who don't have children, one of the most valuable things you could do would be to serve in children's ministry. Let me close with this. Go back to verse 25. Doing all these things. Don't be a hearer, be a doer. Don't forget God's grace in your life, but go and do it. What does it say? It says, whoever does these things, he will be blessed in his doing. Blessed in his doing. Friends, is it hard to enter into messy situations? Yes, okay? Not a trick question. Number one, God is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not already done for us. Jesus entered into the messiest situation of all, our broken world, our sin, and he took it all upon himself on the cross and he offers us redemption. And I believe that when God calls us to sacrifice, calls us to give something, he will supply what he requires.
It won't always be easy. It won't always be pretty. You won't always have all the next steps figured out, but I believe that God will prove himself faithful to bless you in whatever way that he sees fit. Amen? That's my call for us. There's blessing to be had, Sound City. I want to call us now to a time of response. We're going to respond as we do in a variety of ways. The first way we're going to respond is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. This is, again, an opportunity for you to worship God with your your finances that he's entrusted to you. If you're a guest or a visitor, please know you're not obligated to give. We don't want you to feel awkward or uncomfortable about that, but you're welcome to give. They're going to collect the offering. They're also going to pass out the elements for communion. We're going to welcome our younger students class to join us here for a minute. And I want to do something just a little tiny bit different. I usually read through our community group questions and stuff, but instead of doing that this week, I'd like to invite uh, Danielle and Mandy to come join me up here on the stage. And I want to talk specifically about our action items for this week. If you need the discussion questions, they're in your handout. They're up on the website. Okay, on my right, your left, come, come a little bit closer here. There's the lights on us here. So this is Danielle. Danielle Martin, she and her husband Derek are uh, covenant members of Sound City Bible Church, and they are foster parents themselves. Can you guys give a, a warm welcome to Danielle? And I, I promised Danielle I wouldn't make her talk on the mic, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my word. But next Sunday, during this 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a foster care interest meeting. It's going to happen out in the lobby, and Danielle and some other leaders in our church are going to lead that. If you're somebody who's like, you know what, I've been thinking about becoming a foster parent, I've been thinking about getting involved in foster care, I just have all sorts of questions and don't know what that looks like, then come to that meeting, or even right after this service, go grab Danielle. She's a member of our church. She and some other um, gals in particular would love to help you and walk through that with you, okay? I did good. I didn't give you the mic. Mandy, on the other hand, Mandy is a a part of Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, and we've gotten to know each other over the last few months. This is a side note, but you guys, you guys remember Brandon and Sienna Jones? Like, we love the Jones family here, and they moved away. Mandy and Sienna were college roommates together for five years, so that's crazy awesome. Uh, Maybe Sienna will listen to this on the podcast, and we'll say hi to the Jones family. Mandy, tell us just a little bit about what Union Gospel Mission has been wanting to do, because you even helped organize this lunch thing that we were working on this last week, and so just kind of let the congregation know how UGM's here to help. Sure. So um, many of you have probably heard of Seattle Union Gospel Mission. We're most known for our work with the homeless population. However, recently, uh, UGM started trying to take kind of a preventative upstream approach to homelessness. And like Pastor Aaron mentioned earlier, uh, one of the most vulnerable populations are our foster children. Um, so we, I actually work for the church engagement department of UGM, but um, my job is to create these networks of churches, uh, support agencies, and working directly with the children's administration, um, bringing these networks together to see how we can tangibly support the foster care system. So it's things like doing this lunch that we did for the social workers, um, like Pastor Aaron mentioned, the office moms and dads program, providing foster parent night out, uh, things like that, just ways that we can come around and support this system that is in great need of support. Yeah. Thank you for your work and for your engagement. And Mandy's been a, a, a new friend, but a good friend, and she's already served our, our church family well. We actually had the kind of the regional meetup we hosted at our offices, I guess, what was that, three weeks ago, a month ago, something like that, and we'll continue to be engaged. So can you say thank you to Mandy for being here as well with us? And Danielle... Both, both of these ladies will be available in the lobby right after service. So if you're like directly in, interested in foster care, talk to Danielle. If you'd like to hear some of the more kind of creative ways to get involved, maybe support, 
talk to Mandy. Okay? Thank you, guys. Uh, we, we're going to continue our time of, of response with singing. Sean and the band are going to lead us in some songs of worship and praise. Um, this first song, Rock of Ages, talks about how we, we come with nothing. It's just a great reminder of the gospel. Like the widow, like the orphan, we come empty-handed, we come broken, we, we simply cling to the cross, and Jesus meets us in that place. We're also going to celebrate the Lord's table, and so before we partake of this, let me read from 1 Corinthians 11, and then I'll pray, and then we'll begin our time of singing in response. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, today as you eat of the bread, as you drink of the cup, may you be reminded that this body that was broken for you, this blood was shed for you so that you might be adopted by our Heavenly Father. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that'd be like a a prideful manner like we read about in, in James 1 saying, I have no need. Friends, come broken. That's what it means to come in a worthy manner. Come broken and come humble. Whoever partakes in this unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'll pray and then I'll invite you to partake of the Lord's table when you're ready and then stand to your feet and sing with us. God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. We thank you um, for the many ways, God, that you have showered your grace upon us. God, I ask and I pray right now as we sing and as we respond God, I ask and I pray that you would move our hearts with the grace that you've shown us and that you would stir our hearts to live out in response to you. God, as we sing and as we worship, would you even begin to just kind of stir in our hearts and our minds specific ways that you have called us to get involved? God, it's not gonna look the same. We're all different parts of the same body. God, even our church is one part of your larger body. So God, would you... Help us and lead us and guide us to know what is the right way to respond. And we want to do so full of joy because of your love for us. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Church, let's sing and respond.